Good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Hopefully I greeted you earlier, or hopefully I'll meet you afterwards. Uh, we're in a series called Christian. It's not what you think. Uh, today's title is Angry Birds. Hopefully it'll make sense later. I had a good week this week. I my birthday was this week, and uh, we had a party last night. And uh, one announcement we did forget, uh, and one reason this makes this a good week, we're teaching the membership class this afternoon. So some of you have signed up for it. If you haven't and you would like to, you can participate, or we're going to teach it again in the next, in a, in the next couple of weeks. So that's an exciting time for me and for the church. So uh, good week, good things are happening. All right. Uh, we've been in this series, we've been talking about this word Christian, that it's, it's confusing. It's got all kinds of definitions. We all know people that call themselves Christians, and in our opinion, they probably, we wouldn't call them that uh, because you can basically do what you want and believe what you want by Christian because the Bible doesn't give us a definition. It's only in there a couple times. It's always used as reference from outsiders, talk about insiders, people that follow God and people that don't follow God. So, consequently, uh, what, what should we be called? What did Jesus call his followers? And we came up with a word that Jesus used. What's the word? Disciple. disciple. Good job. You guys have been listening. All right, disciple. And if you've missed some of these, they're on our website. You can listen to them. Uh, and a disciple is defined. It's clear. We know that a disciple is a follower. It's somebody that's an adherent it's, it, that is a, an apprentice. And whatever the master says goes, he, whatever he says, we say yes. So it's really clear, it's really defined. And then Jesus, before he, he ended his life, he said to his disciples, the closest disciples, the 11 that were left, that uh, uh, this is what I want you to remember. This is the proof that you are my disciple. All right? It's not a lot of things we might think of going to church and all those things. He said, no. The way you love each other, you 11 guys love each other. It's going to prove to everybody uh, that you're one of my disciples. And if they didn't quite understand that, then Jesus said, this is the way you're going to do it. You're going to love like I loved you. So if you want to figure that out, you know, just the last three and a half years together, how I loved you, you just love, e- love, love, love each other. And then we came up with this statement. If you want to know what Jesus meant, when Jesus said to love one another, you watch how Jesus loved. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but last week we gave you some examples of that. So John, one of those, those 11 guys that were left, wrote some of what we call the Bible. And in that, he, he gave a, a kind of a, an explanation of what's that, what that means, what that looks like. And it was in his first chapter of, his, of the gospel called John in verse 14. He said, the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh, actually dwelt in a body, God in a body, and dwelt among us, we have seen this. Uh, not that we heard about it or read about it. We have seen it with our own eyes, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And now here's the phrase. All right. The love like Jesus loved, he describes it this way, full of grace and full of truth. Now we know what grace is. Grace is kind of uh, forgiveness. Uh, truth is, hey, you've done something wrong, you need to be punished. Uh, grace is, uh, uh, you'll get it right next time. <laughs> Truth is, you got it wrong this time. Uh, grace says, uh, you're okay. Truth says, you're not okay. So we know what they, those two things mean. And we all grew up with parents that were either a little gracie or a little more truthy, as we talked about last week. 
And my family, you can ask my kids, I think all four of them are here this morning. Uh, mommy was, mom was definitely, that was definitely Gracie, right? And dad was definitely truthy. Uh, Got to follow the rules. And so, and, and, she, and she was more, more than forgiving one. Depending what your parents were like, and we also said last week, which one of your parents did you usually like more? Gracie, right? <laughs> um, Deb's much more likable than me. I understand that anyway. Uh, uh, but, it, you know, it, it reflects on us. And so if your parents were really uh, strict, you probably got a little bit of OCD in you. If your parents were really kind of live and let live, you probably don't care if your socks even match. You know, it's kind of, uh, the, we're, we're products of our environment. That's, that, that's what's happened. Um, but when we look at truth and grace, we say, you know, um, you know, Mom was grace and dad was truth or vice versa or whatever. But that's not what John said. He said he was, Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. We, we'd like to think it's kind of a balance between the two. So he, we said it this way, I think. Not the balance between, but the full measure of. So Jesus was 100% grace and he was absolute truth. Now, I couldn't explain that last week. Nobody came up with a good illustration to help me. Uh, but we know that's true. And I, and I don't need to understand it all. I want a God that's bigger than I am. And so I'm comfortable with that. But there's an attention, and we talked about that. Then we talked about the church, which really is us, the people. The church is at its best when it embraces grace and truth and refuses to let go of either. And we've all been in churches that are more gracey and, or truthy, and it's just something missing, isn't there? You know, yeah, it's, that's the rules, but shouldn't we be more forgiving? And, you know, there are some rules. We just don't let everything go. So it's easy to kind of lean one way or the other as individuals or as a church. So last week, we talked about a few stories that Jesus, about Jesus' life where he modeled this being full of grace. One was called the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and... Uh, she had some issues in her life, but Jesus offered her, offered her eternal life with water and never thirst again. Um, but he, she also had a lifestyle they didn't, didn't approve of. And then there was a woman caught in adultery, the same thing. He says, I don't condemn you, but that's grace, but stop doing this. That's truth. It's not good for you. It's, it's harmful. And we use a couple other examples. <clears throat> so the story we're going to look at today uh, is in the gospel, the story of Jesus' life. But instead of where he modeled grace and truth, we're going to look where he taught about grace and truth. And the audience is interesting. He's got two groups in this audience. One is, is, is the outsiders. The people feel really far from God. They don't feel connected to God. They don't feel like God would accept them. And then there's this other group of people that really think they're in with God. All right? And we'll address it here in a minute. But Jesus is going to tell them that they're both wrong. All right? And his approach is brilliant. Most of us would get in some kind of argument with one group or the other, and if we sided with one, the other would feel ostracized and, and feel bad, and the feelings would get all, all involved. But br- Jesus obviously was the master teacher, brilliant, and so he's going to tell a story. Um, we have the slide about the parable? That's not coming up yet. Um, I guess that's coming up later. Two groups of people. That's all right. We'll go back where we were. Two groups of people. Uh, one more. <laughs> the first group. There we go. 
No, one more. There we go. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. This is remarkable. Okay? Notorious sinners were kind of the worst people in society. Uh, but the tax collectors were so bad, they had their own category of bad. Uh, you were you a notorious sinner, but you don't want to be rela- associated with a tax collector. Because they were, as we talked about last week, traitors. That's kind of the worst of the worst. So these folks came often to listen to Jesus. It would be kind of like uh, the worst people you know at work or at, at your job or at school or whatever. When you came in here on Sunday morning, they're all sitting here in the front rows. And we don't see that in church, do we? Those people usually consider themselves not welcome at church. But that's the situation with Jesus. Jesus is this rabbi, this teacher, he's a preacher like me, and all the worst people in town are sitting in the front row to listen to him. Um, Then there's another group, and they are the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. These are kind of the, the most religious of the religious. They didn't do church just on Sunday. They did church 24-7. Now, they came to listen to Jesus, but a little bit differently. They came and complained. Now, what were they complaining about? They never complained about these people in the front row. He's associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. How did the people that weren't like Jesus like Jesus? And how did Jesus, who didn't seem to be anything like them, like, seem to like them? These notorious sinners. It was confusing. In fact, we say it this way. That's the question that they were probably thinking. Does Jesus condone their behavior? He's not sitting there, hey, you, you, you stop tax collecting and you, 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 you uh, go back to your wife or, or whatever. He, he's, he's not doing any of that. So they're wondering, does he condone their behavior? Now, he's going to tackle this really complicated issue of being being full of grace, um, full of truth. And he, he has this brilliant approach. He's going to tell this story that uh, everybody's going to agree with. Because normally in, in, in kind of opposite sides of any argument, if you agree with one, the other's going to disagree with you. And we call this story a parable, and a parable is simply something that's untrue that illustrates something that is true. So the story's not true. Uh, it could be true, but it's not true. He's just telling the story to get across something that's either an emotionally charged issue or a very complicated, uh, hard-to-understand issue. And it, we usually think of it as three stories. It's really one story with three different aspects. So it's in Luke chapter 15. He starts the story off by talking about a man had 100 sheep and one of them gets lost. What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? So notorious sinners are sitting there. Some of them might even be shepherds. And they're all nodding their head, yeah. If I lost one of my sheep, I would go get it. Everybody knew shepherds, and they knew that the shepherds would do that. And even these religious leaders realized, yes, (laughs) if you lose one of your sheep, you're going to go look and find it. Then he says, when you find it, everybody's going to be happy, right? And they say, yeah, everybody's going to be happy. And he says, that's what it's like in heaven. There's more joy in heaven about this one that was lost that came back and got found than all the other 99 that didn't get lost. 
And he said, hey, this woman lost a coin in her house. And she looks all over for it. Makes her husband move all the furniture <laughs> so she can find this coin. Why? Because it's valuable. The sheep is valuable. And when it's found, they, 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 they celebrate. And their neighbors celebrate. And that's the way it is in heaven. It's, it, you know, it, we were, it's, we're happy about this lost thing that was found. And so everybody's agreeing, you know, the bad people, the good people, so quote, unquote. Everybody's agreeing with this where Jesus is going with this story. Now, again, it's a made-up story, and Jesus can do anything he wants to do with this story. But he's saying that when we lose something, it gets our attention, doesn't it? When you lost your keys, you've got to find your keys. You lose your phone, you've got to find your phone. In fact, <laughs> two people walking in this morning talking about people losing stuff, and they didn't even know I was going to be talking about this this morning. And then Jesus goes on with this story, and he's going to talk about birth order. We all know about birth order, right? Uh, how many of you are firstborns? Okay, I'm a firstborn. My wife's a firstborn. We're the behaviors, aren't we? We kind of want to please our parents. We want to do what they want us to do. And you secondborns don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but anyway, if the firstborns are behaviors, the secondborns are the mis behaviors, aren't they? I'm not going to be like my older brother or sister. I'm going to do my own thing. And if they're going to be, you know, compliant, I'm not going to be compliant. So Jesus understood birth order. And he's going to tell this story and he's just going to keep pushing it and pushing it to extremes until everybody's going to be offended. Who would do that? So he talks about this guy had two sons. And the younger son, the second born, comes to his father and said, hey, I'm tired of waiting for my inheritance. I wish you would die so I could get it, but you just won't die. So, hey, what do you think about giving it to me? Now, all the audience is thinking, that's crazy. That is so disrespectful. That dad would never do that. In fact, he'd probably kick the son out of the family. So, again, Jesus is pushing the story, and he says, father says, okay. I'll grant your wish. He liquidates some of his assets and he gives them to his son. Now, as second born, he only gets half as much as the first born, so 33% or whatever. But a considerable amount. And as soon as he gets the money or soon after, he takes off. I'm not hanging around here. I don't, you know, don't like my dad. I don't like my family. And he goes off. And the Bible uses the word in lavish living. Basically, it means he's spent more than he could afford to spend, right? And eventually he spends it all. And about the time he spends it all, uh, there's a famine in the land. So he has no money. He's hungry, so he's looking for a job. And uh, can't find a job. Finally, he finds a job. Now, we, in our culture, we can't understand this. I don't know what's the most despicable job in our culture. <laughs> you can come up with something. Well, what was the last job in the world that you would want to do? That's what this was. He got a job taking care of pigs. And a Jew would not want to have anything to do with pigs. It would be disgusting. That's the only job he could get. And then it got so bad that the only thing he could think of eating was the pig slop, the pig food. Again, and the crowd's all thinking, oh, this is horrible. We would never do that. Oh, all of them. Both sides of the spectrum. Uh, all offended. Um, 
So we're going to pick up the story there. And this is a pretty familiar story, but kind of pretend you hadn't heard it before. <laughs> and when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. All right. I'm a Jewish boy taking care of pigs, thinking about eating pig slop. This is about as bad as you can get. There's got to be a better choice, a better option, right? At home, the hired servants have food enough to spare, and I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned. Not that I mis- just misbehaved and that I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So I'm not trying to get back into the family. I know that's impossible. That's not even, you know, comprehensible. But would you, ba- would you hire me so I could have some f- basic needs of life? Now, the audience is listening to this, and they're saying, yeah, this story, is, this story is great. He got what he deserves, and now it's even getting better. He's going to go back home, and his father's going to humiliate him. So everybody's together, emotionally together in this story. The, the bad people from town and the good people from town all came to listen to Jesus. So he goes on. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with, and all the crowd's going to say what? Anger, because if I was a dad and my son did that, I would be filled with anger. And so that's what they're anticipating. Everybody's caught up in the story. And then what, what does he say? Filled with what? <laughs> Love and compassion. And he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Now everybody in the audience is completely confused. Again, Jesus keeps pushing this would never happen. This can happen. I don't understand. No father would do that. Why would this father do that? And we know these stories are about God, and so we, we, we believe that the father in the story is God, but who is this youngest son? Why? Because he's full of grace and truth. And he follows through. He says to his father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father didn't even let him finish. (laughs) He didn't let him get to the part, I don't want to be a son anymore. I want to just be a servant. He didn't let him finish. The father said to his servants, quick. Now, the audience is sitting there thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy just came back. He's just, you know, he's dished his whole family. He's wasted his inheritance. We aren't going to do anything quick. Let's, uh, you know, put him in a rehab program for a while, maybe a halfway house. We'll see if this is really, you know, he's really changed, if he's really, you know, different. And after he's proved himself, maybe, right? That's what we're all thinking. He says, no, Quick. Bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get his ring on his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Now, if you've been to church, or maybe even you haven't been to church, and if you haven't been much, we're glad that you're here this morning, you probably know that story. It's called the prodigal son story. It's really not about the son, it's really about God, but we, that's what we call it. But that's not the end of the story. How many sons did the father have? 
Well, at least two, right? Because he was the second born. What about the firstborn? Well, the story goes on. And the, he's out working in the farm, diligence, firstborn. And coming back into the house, and he hears all this commotion, and he runs into a servant. He says, what's going on? He says, hey, your brother's back. And I'm thinking, yeah, great, my brother's back. And he said, hey, dad's, you know that calf we've been waiting for, you know, for your wedding? Uh, your, dad's, your dad's wants us to kill it and have a, have a feast right now. Now, if you're the oldest, older son, how are you feeling? Jesus tells us, tells us how he's feeling. The older brother was angry. Of course he's angry. And wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Let me ask you a question. You ever met an angry, quote-unquote, Christian? Uh, maybe seen him on TV? Preachers with all red and screaming? I don't do that, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> Some preacher, maybe you've not been in church for a while because you knew a couple of those angry Christians. And, hey, they seem to be mad about everything, don't like anything. Uh, life's too short to live that way. So here's our situation. The younger son, his dad's having a party, and he's embarrassed because he knows he doesn't deserve it. The older son, he's angry because he knows his younger son doesn't, the younger brother doesn't deserve it. And the whole crowd's confused at this place, right? What in the world is Jesus trying to tell us? In fact, here's their question. How does God view sinners? That's what Jesus is trying to teach them. Because they both, again, both sides had it wrong. The sinners thought God wouldn't have anything to do with them. And the real religious people thought they were, you know, God and us are this close. They said, you're both wrong. The story goes on. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat, not so as a fatty calf, to feast with my friends. Why, if you're an angry Christian, or if you know people that are angry Christians, why, why do they get angry? Let me tell you why you get angry. You might not like it, but I'll t- It's because you think you deserve something you didn't get. Just like this guy. You know, I've been going to church all my life, and, and I've done the best I can, and now I've got cancer. Or I've lost my job. Or my wife left me, her husband left me. I don't deserve this guy. And you get angry. problem is that's not grace. You can be a good Christian and be angry. You can't be a good disciple and be angry because Jesus, God isn't like that. Then he goes on. Yeah, when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on a prostitute. Now, we don't know that. Like we said, he spent his money foolishly. We don't know his prostitute. You know, the, the younger, the older brother's kind of surmising, maybe making up stories. We don't know. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf? Whoa, 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 whoa. Father's saying, hey, oh, okay. Listen, son. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. You're with me. What more could you want? You're with me. I had to celebrate this happy day when my brother, your brother who is dead has come back to life. He was lost, now he's been found. 
like the coin, like the sheep. And here's what nobody in the audience understood and what you and I struggle with is this simple statement here. It's not about performance. It's all about proximity. See, both groups of people were the same. They both were wrong. The one group thought they were too bad to be connected with God, and the other group said because, thought because they were good, they were connected with God. They were both wrong. It's not about what we do or don't do. It's about being with, proximity. And when you and I get this, when you and I, or the, as a church, get this, it'll change us. It's the difference between being Christian and being a disciple. Let's summarize it this way. God could not love you more, and there's nothing you or uh, excuse me, there's nothing you will do or could do that will cause him to love you less. Think about it this way. Do you get mad at lost things? You lost your keys. Keys! What's the matter with you? Getting lost. Phone! Why are you misbehaving and getting lost? You don't get angry at lost things. And God doesn't get angry with lost things. And you and I shouldn't get angry when we see lost people. Because anger is about us. When I lose my phone, who do I get mad at? Ugh, why is that so dumb? I can't remember where I put it. Why don't I be more careful with it? Keys, whatever. Again, we're dealing with a complicated issue here. And Jesus is the master teacher. And here's what we need to get. Sin will always break our hearts. Not make us angry. Break our hearts. And repentance will always stir our hearts. I'm going to show you, uh, we, had, we baptized four people this summer, and um, we've interviewed them and made some uh, videos, and we're going to share one with you this morning, and some of you may j- know Jamie, and some of you may not. She's here, and she uh, agreed to let us, let us show the, this to you this morning, because all these, but uh, this one in particular, I think, or, or, or does, it demonstrates the fact that as a church, we are striving to be full of grace and truth. My name is Jamie. My son's name is Caleb. He's 14. He's a freshman in high school. Um, growing up, I went to church as a child with my parents and did the Sunday school thing for kids. And, uh, and I really liked it as a kid. The bus would come and pick up just the kids and take us and get to learn about it. And, I grew up taking my son, I got married, took my son to church with my husband, and um, then I started to get the tattoos and the piercings, and I got divorced, and, you know, I just saw everybody kind of whispering about it, and, you know, church is some place you're supposed to feel safe and not judged, and I felt like I was being judged, so I stopped going. Then, you know, I moved to Smithsburg with my parents, and so I started working at the Ace Hardware in Cape Town, and Scott came in and invited me to Smithsburg Valley Church with my son. Scott told me about the the youth group for kids, and so I took Caleb to that. 
They were very welcoming. I wasn't even in, I was in workout clothes. I was still sweaty. And they still hugged me. And I never felt that in church before. So I came to church on Sunday and it was Father's Day and they told me that I should stay for Father's Day and I told them that Caleb doesn't have one and they told me that I deserve the right just as much as anyone else to come and it's been over a year now since I've been coming so I'm just really glad to to be a part of this I, you asked me to join a book club, and I thought, no way. Reading books are so boring. And I had only been coming to church here for a little while, so I felt really uncomfortable going. And Brighton and Marina were great. I love their kids. I just, I love the fact that you and Deb are so great. And I can be open and say whatever I want and just be who I am and not be judged for it. I've always wanted to be baptized. I wanted to be somewhere that I felt comfortable to want to be baptized. And, you know, I was foolishly trying to live my life my way until I came here and realized I was so wrong. It's going to forgive me for everything that I did before, allow me to start living my life the way that I'm supposed to through Jesus. Allow me to be a better mother for Caleb. Sir Jamie, on your public profession of faith here, in obedience to God's command, I baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Dead through old life, raised to new life. All right. Thank you, Jamie. Grace and truth. Thank you, church. Grace and truth. That's what it's about. Finish up real quickly. We said this last week. Sin has a gotcha. It's got us all, right? How do I know? Because it's got me. That's how you know. And Jesus, God's just saying, it's always better with than apart. God's not mad. He doesn't get mad at lost things. He doesn't care what you've done. I, we don't care what you've done. We just want to celebrate that you want to be with. Again, it's not about performance, good or bad. You want to be with. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this beautiful story that helps us to understand some really hard stuff God, I thank you for being all grace and all truth to us. Because actually it gets more complicated when you try and draw the line someplace. We need all grace, but we also need all the truth. God, I want to take a minute here and just pray for anyone that uh, is not with. It's not with you. It's most likely because they feel like you don't have anything to do with them. But you're the father that invites the prodigal son 
Not just back, but back as a full-fledged son. We wouldn't do it, God, but you do it. That's the experience of all of us. You can step across that line. You can be with God by just, by just asking. Thank you for meeting us at this place, God, this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen.